Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and it's my pleasure to introduce you to our fabulous robotics and AI community in Australia. Today, my guest is Damoth Herrath. Damoth is an Associate Professor in Robotics and Art at the University of Canberra. Damoth is a multi-award winning entrepreneur and roboticist with extensive experience leading multidisciplinary research teams on complex robotic integration and industrial research projects for over two decades. Damoth, welcome and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Nikki. Pleasure to be. It's a great honor speaking with you. You started coding and building robots at a very young age. How, how did you get into this? I loved art. I think that's that's where it all started. Um, I really enjoyed it because my dad used to um, read storybooks at night when we, when he you know tuck, tuck us into bed. And um, that kind of, I think, built my imagination. And the real reason behind get, me getting involved in robotics is actually me being lazy. Um, <laughs> because, you know... We had to get up around, you know, 5.30 in the morning, 6 in the morning to go to school. And it was a bit of a chore. So I always imagine like I could have extra 10 minutes, you know, lying on the bed, just, you know, enjoying the morning. If I had I had, a, had a machine to kind of deliver my breakfast and open the curtains and things like that. So that's my, you know, that, that was my impetus to actually look, explore robotics. Um, uh, from there, I think, and and also the, the you know, the, some of the science fiction um, you know, TV programs that used to run at the time. One of my favorite was uh, Buck Rogers. Mm -hmm. Some of your older uh, listeners, I think, might um, <laughs> empathize with this one. Yeah. Uh, I like. I was really fascinated by the robots in it and and and, and tricky the robot. So I wanted to build that. Like that's that's kind of my thing. And and uh, around I think when, when I was about ten years old, we had this you know school exhibition. And um, and I got another mate of mine, and we started actually building it. So that's that's kind of uh, my first robot build. <laughs> first foray into it, which has now become your whole life. You've touched on something very important before we continue with the discussion, and this is your dad reading to you as a small child. You know, they they emphasize or the importance of parents actually reading to their kids and um, a spending time, but this world of imagination that's open there. Have you got kids? Or are you doing it with your own kids? I have one. Uh, I, I think I, I'm a terrible storyteller. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, re I do regret that. You know, I don't have, you know, the, 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 um, the finance that my dad had, you know, telling stories. But I try to do that. I mean, I, I, you know, what I do is like I bring a lot of books uh, from all sorts of different, you know, perspectives and, and get him to read them. Uh, so um, that's one way I've done it. But no, nowhere near my dad. Like, you know, I still, you know, I still you know, vividly remember some of the stories that he used to tell. You know, both from west and east. So it was it was a lovely mix of stories and 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 you know these you know creative worlds in in all sorts of places. Oh, it's fabulous! The fruit of the or his labor of love is sitting in front of us. So he's certainly you're the product of it. Tell us about your career. You've lived in all sorts of places and you've done all sorts of things. So I grew up in Sri Lanka. Uh, I'm, uh, it, it's really sad to see where Sri Lanka is at at the moment. Just uh, sparing a bit of thought. Um, to, to my, you know, former countrymen and women and everybody. So I never really, this is the funny thing, This I, I never really wanted to, um, you know, leave the country. Uh, it was just a series of, you know, some of them are, you know, 
just all sorts of you know weird and wonderful things that propelled me to to move to Australia. Uh, but then I think what what was really fascinating about that is that actually opened my mind, you know, and gave a different perspective that you know it's actually a good idea to you know move around and to explore different perspectives about you know your own culture because you started to reflect um, you know some of the beliefs that you grew up with and how people other people see. So that I think that kind of it was the initial sort of impetus for me to then start looking at and actually traveling different places, and in that space, actually, you know, I've expanded not just in in sort of you know my robotics career, but also how I can bring robotics to a much broader context. So a lot of the work that I've done since and on moving to different places and interacting with different peoples, different cultures, is to understand how we can you know help you know this this technology that we are developing in a more holistic, you know, human centered way. So I don't know if I answered the question. You ask, but it, it's um, you know traveling around in different places and diff- spending time with different people, not just you know your, your own community, but you know from other people. I, I do a lot of work, you know, in arts and uh, and in psychology, and you know bringing some of these colleagues in. So I think that that expanding horizon is is the way to go for robotics. You know, definitely. Um, so that's you know that's kind of what I think you know helped me to move around and and then sort of reciprocally that helped me to kind of understand in different perspectives about robotics. And you call Australia your home now? Uh, definitely, yes. It, yes. It, it's been my home for the you know for the the last um, twenty oh almost coming to twenty years now. <laughs> oh, that's it. We've got you. You're staying here. Australia is a beautiful country. Look, I couldn't agree with you more. It's always good to. Um, from a perspective of traveling, my son has actually just got back from overseas and, you know, he just said to me, you know, I, we don't realize what a fantastic place we live in. He went to the United States to present a paper and, you know, it, it is good. It's good to to have it as a measuring pole to see because you always you can tend to think what you've got isn't great until you go somewhere else and you go, actually, I should stop complaining. It's actually fantastic. Uh, look, I mean, I could not agree more. I mean, it. Like- I have, so just just to you know step a little back, um, I grew up watching Neighbors. <laughs> it's really sad to see that it actually you know I didn't know it actually it's finished was finished now. Right? Yeah, no, it's fin- isn't it finishing? I'm sure I heard it. It, it finished. So we watched finished, the, yeah. the finale. So yeah. um, and it was you know it was quite impressive. We remember some of the you know characters and all that. I haven't really watched it for a long time, but as a kid, I grew up watching that. And you know, tasty marmite and and whatnot, right? So Vegemite, sorry. Um, <laughs> the marmite, and, South, well, it's actually English, but South Africans also eat it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, I like if I wanted to leave Sri Lanka, the one place I actually wanted to go is to to come to Australia. Like I felt there was there was something that relatable about Australian way of life and and how people relate. Um, so like from a from a you know from a Academic point of view, you know, especially with robotics, you know, you could you know do better going to a place like in you know, the US or to Europe or even to Japan, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't really. I think we are starting to change that landscape now. But this is you know twenty thirty years ago, like robotics robotics was not in the on you know in the horizon in terms of Australia. But from a cultural point of view and and relatable point of view, I thought Australia is the place I want to be. So when I even had the opportunity to go to US to you know pursue my PhD, I actually opted to come to Australia, and I do not regret it. I think you know it's such a wonderful country, um, and 
looking at things that's sort of evolving right now, I think it's it's really a great place to be. So no complaints. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. <laughs> Tell us, you worked on a on a project of a robot sorting clothes. What happened with the project? So one of the things that that my lab does is actually we do a lot of work with industry partners uh, or looking at translational aspects. So a lot of the work that I do uh, with my students and 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 you know industry partners is to to kind of explore how we can bring robotics into a meaningful translational activity. Uh, so this particular one that you mentioned is one of the one or two projects that we are looking at in in the broad scope of um, recycling. Um, so one of my PhD students, David, um, he's just fin- he's he should be finishing fairly soon. Uh, he's been looking. So he came to me three years ago saying, "Damit, I have an idea. Uh, I want to. I've been looking at this, you know, industry um, in in textile industry, and looking at how wasteful that is. Like, you know, we 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 are dumping, I think, num- you know, hundreds of tons of you know clothes every every month." And it's just, you know, it's, it's such a wasteful activity. And what, what happens a lot of the time is, you know, what we dump here end up in either in a landfill or go to, a, you know, a developing country uh, where they sort of resold or burned. Right? So there was a really, you know, recent tragic where one of those, you know, piles actually caught fire and, and created a huge, um, you know, um, catastrophe yeah. uh, in, in a developing country. So he wanted to do something about it. So one of the bottlenecks in that pipeline, where how you, whether you can recycle them in, in some form or not, is is the labor involved. Because you need to pick each individual item and see what are the materials involved in it, and how can how can you recycle them? Some of them can be recycled for fiber. Some of them can be you know recycled or upscaled and resold. Mm-hmm. So doing that sorting work is is an extreme manual labor. So if you can imagine like in a million, you know clothing items coming to you in a in a in a month's time like you know how do you sort that like it, it's it's a really difficult proposition and on top of that you know if you look at in you know, undergarments and things like that people don't really want to touch them so they just go immediately to landfills and and waste it so he want to do something about it how can we improve that sorting aspect can you automate it um so here's the rule of thumb in robotics anything that's easy for humans it's extremely hard for robots and vice versa so that's why we have automated a lot of repetitive, repetitive tasks in factory kind of scenarios that are really easy to automate. But if you can imagine, you know, picking up a cloth, like, you know, grabbing a, a, a garment, that's a complex problem. Yeah, uh, It's really easy for us, but for, for a machine to teach how to do it, it's really hard. But so what we've done with David over the last three odd, odd years is to actually develop a, a little robot finger and some mechanism around that. Now that we can actually pick these clothes uh, relative with relative ease, so he's got a bit of funding right now to commercialize that. Uh, so uh, watch this space, and and it'll be good to talk to him as well as at some stage. Um, that he's trying to spin off a company that will sort clothes with about a sixty percent to eighty percent efficiency compared to a human. But if you put in a number of machines, um, well, we've done some calculations, and it seems like you know we can get a return of in investment at a fairly short time period. And here's the great news. We can't get rid of the, the human factor because to understand what clothes to sort and how to sort them, that sort of thing, that actually requires a human. So in this scenario that we are looking at with clothes sorting, uh, the human actually tells the robot to what to do. So it's like you know having a bunch of robots um, being looked after by a human and telling the robots what to do and how to sort it. 
So it improves the efficiency and, and minimize the contact with the clothes and also the repetitive nature of, you know, backbreaking sorting clothes. So yeah. it's a really wonderful idea that we're looking at and looking forward to uh, commercializing in the next, um, you, know, you know, six months to a year's time. I'll circle back definitely on that and we'll get him on the show as well and you, you can both talk because you are his, uh, his mentor. So you've got a particular interest in robots and art and you've been collaborating with the artist uh, Stella. He's in, was in West Australia. And, and uh, he's he a book. now in uh, Melbourne. He's in Melbourne. Back to Melbourne, yeah. yes. Okay. And uh, you've actually got a book, Robots and Art. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, again, this is the fun story about um, how you know, life takes you in different directions. So my PhD is actually in what is called simultaneous localization and mapping, so SLAM. Uh, it's uh, it, When I was starting my PhD, it was considered you know, one of the um, holy grail, so to speak, in robotics because people didn't really know whether you can do this particular task. So, so all the self-driving cars and all sorts of other navigation tech, you know, situations require SLAM. So the idea behind the SLAM is that uh, if you put a robot in an unknown environment, uh, can it figure out where it is and can it build a map so it can navigate on that map? So humans do this quite easily. So if you, you know, if you even blindfolded and put you in, say, in Canberra, uh, you know, and take off your blinds, um, you will, you know, within a few minutes work out, you know, how to get from A to B and and relatively easy. But for a robot, that is really extremely hard. So um, only in the early 2000s, so late, late 90s, that actually researchers, including my PhD supervisor, figured out that you can mathematically solve this problem. So, and then it, it, you know, it started gaining momentum and traction. So I did my work around that that space. Uh, this is pre-machine le- like deep learning and pre-Uber you know Uber and all that sort of stuff. So, and then I was looking for, you know, as you know, any PhD student would do, like and when you're finishing a PhD, you look for uh, something to do or to, you know, to the next sort of career move. Uh, and then I met Stellark. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know who he was. It was just, yeah. you know, somebody said, like, you know, there's a project that's waiting and do you want to, you know, come and um, you know, have a look? And so I met Stellark. He was a really lovely person. Like, you know, there's no airs about him being this celebrity. I didn't know he was a celebrity in the in the kind of the, the, the art domain. So we had a chat and he, you know, caused me into actually working with him on, on this project. Uh, so which turned out to be what we call the articulated head project. And and then sort of that expanded on me actually working not just in you know art uh, and robotics but also in human robot interaction. So funny thing is that I actually had a, almost like a U-turn from where I started. So I never really worked in Slam after that. Yeah, <laughs> no regrets. I mean, you know, Slam is great now because it, it, like it it is you know one of the things that people expect uh, in self-driving cars and that sort of thing. But I veered onto arts and and all sorts of other fun stuff since then. So that's how I um, connected with Stellark. And, and ever since then, I've been working on multiple projects on robotic art space. Yeah, it's a fascinating space. I've, I always wonder um, if a robot is doing some collaboration, whose IP is it? Like, what's the situation out of the legal point of view of it? Is there any precedence being set on that? Um, well, that's a really interesting question. Actually, one of the questions that I ask in my um, entrepreneurship class, I think Australia tried to set some precedence um, in that regard that, you know, the, the the algorithm actually owns the, the creative works, apparently is the current um, ruling in Australia. Uh, I think that's a bad precedence. Uh, fundamentally, for, if, so I've been having, we've been actually having this conversation for a number of years, actually in in, in workshops and things like that. Uh, fundamentally, I think the, the the ownership still 
should be with vested within the artist who creates the algorithm because what it's kind of like and if you can imagine um i invent a new tool right so I, I, if i'm a painter i created this new cool brush that does something exotic i mean and then i create an artwork you know it's not the brush that did the <laughs> painting yeah because yeah. i who did the painting right but i used a medium that created the you know the extra frizzles so within that same sort of logic i think you know if if you are the the, the developer of the software that created you know the creative aspects of it then you know by, by all means it it should be vested on the pe- person who created the algorithm <laughs> I agree with you on that, but look, we'll leave it to the legal eagles out there to nut this out. Speaking of books, you're busy writing another one with Canava and Springer, which you hope to have freely available once published. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm really stoked about this one, uh, Nikki. It, um, so th- th- it, it, it's two things that actually, one is that because I do a lot of work with, um, you know, collaborators from different fields. Uh, they always ask, you know, what is a good book uh, on robotics that you can recommend? Mm. Um, so there are, you know, really nice coffee table type books that you know, a be- lot of beautiful pictures and things like that. Uh, and then there are these, you know, extreme, you know, hardcore mathematical books on the other side. So there's nothing really in, in between those two. Yeah. Um, and also the, one of the other problems is that um, we haven't really defined a body of knowledge for robotics. Um, so if if you look at all the textbooks right now, available, you know, specifically for engineering students, uh, they depend on which department uh, they are aligned with. So there are electrical engineers writing robotics books, there's a mechanical engineers writing books, and so on. And each one of them is kind of targeted towards a specific specific domain. Mm -hmm. So what we want to do is to actually bring these ideas together and create a book that defines a body of knowledge that's multidisciplinary. Uh, So in our book, we actually have uh, topics like ethics, you know, robotic ethics, uh, psychology of, you know, human robot interaction, design ideas and things like that. So it's it's a more multidisciplinary approach to understanding robotics. It's like a nice bridging between, you know, what you do uh, in your primary school and high school, you know, playing with, you know, Arduinos and things like that Mm -hmm. and bridging a gap between that and, you know, some of the more uh, advanced robotics books. Um, and and that had, a, I think, a bit of a resonance with some, you know, our industry partner who sponsored this book now, um, a company in, in Montreal, uh, Kinoa Robotics. They were extremely generous to actually provide the funding necessary to make the book um, open access. Yeah. So the book will be open access, meaning that it's accessible to anybody free of charge online. Uh, hopefully that helps to spread the, the idea uh, further. And the book will be launched um, in the next couple of months. Um, I'm looking forward to it. So really excited about it. Fantastic. And congratulations. And, you know, thank you to the company as well, because today to get stuff for free, you know, like how blessed are we to be able to do this? Absolutely. And, and it's, it's really great for them that, you know, they appreciated the value in it. Yeah. And uh, and and they didn't really intervene with the academic content, but you know what they provide is actually some insight. So in the book, uh, we have insights from some of the in- engineers that actually work in the in the industry. Uh, you know how relating to how they you know get into robotics and and how each chapter relates to actual work that they do in the real world. So it's a really yeah. good sort of connection between you know because a lot of the time when you're reading textbooks, you know a lot of students you know say like oh, what's the relevance is to yeah. me going in the field and actually working. Mm-hmm. So these little interviews in each chapter actually connects what you learn on the topic um, and how that's sort of applied in the real world. So making it really real. So yeah. 
it's it's really a fantastic collaboration with a number of our you know authors who um, some of them are early career researchers and some of them are established and then these industry you know partners who are sort of giving perspective to how they see you know what you learn in the class actually applies in the real world so it's it's a really comprehensive kind of book in the in the sense that you know it gives you you know a number of different perspectives about robotics uh, how to learn robotics yeah. and then how it's applied in the real world uh, beyond class. I look forward to getting a copy once it's uh, once it's available. So yeah, and I will follow you on LinkedIn. And for all our listeners out there, if you're not following Damith on LinkedIn, please do so immediately um, so that you can see any posts that he puts out on this topic. You founded Australia's first cobot company in the early 20s. You've had a lot of commercial experience. Do you think this is a value working with your, your students? Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, I sold my first robot services when I was actually uh, 10 years old. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, like you, what your company does, you know, some of the, the robots are actually their service robots. Um, so I did that when I was about 10 years and sold my robot services for, um, you know, 25 cents and actually made about a rupee before our teachers found out that we've been scamming them. But I think, you know, I, I always had that sort of entrepreneurial knack, you know, and, and I love the, the, the being able to kind of be in that, you know, space. And uh, and that's more relatable because for me, the, the translational aspect is the most important one, you know, not just doing research for the research sake, yeah. but how do you take that into a commercial realization? I think that's, you know, what innovation is. Um, so, when we we're finishing up our work with Salak and you know in, in the early 2000s, um 2010s, um, one of the things that we realized is there's a really interesting IP here around how humans and robots can interact. So this is long before people actually start thinking about you know putting col- collaborative robots and so service robots in you know in, in human sort of spaces. Yeah. Um and we had some lot of interesting ideas around that, and we thought that'll be great to commercialize. So that's how we started the first, you know collaborative robotics company in Australia. And what we learned, I mean, I think we were about 10 years too early for mm-hmm. that that idea. Then, because uh, we found that one thing that I found in, in Australia is that I think we are a bit uh, reluctant to, to research, uh, do R&D. Uh, we would like, you know, this is from an industry perspective, right? We like to, you know, find something that somebody else made and bring it to Australia and just, you know, use it like that. Yeah. That's kind of the gist of it. That every time we went and said like, you know, we got some ideas. I think we can improve your process or your product uh, using some of these ideas that we've got. And so like, can you do it off the shelf? No, we can't because we need to do a bit of research um, yeah. before we can apply it into a specific context. And what we found a lot of the businesses in Australia didn't really warm up to that idea then. I think it's changing now. Like I think these podcasts and things like that actually really helping for people to change their perspective about doing R and D and and be more sort of hands on with it. Um, so, but during that ten year period that we ran the company and and you know interacted, with, we done a bit of you know small scale work, uh, in, implemented a few robots here and there, uh, and that really you know sort of helped kind of understand the perspective from the industry expectations and how they view. And now that I teach a, a subject called innovation and entrepreneurship in, 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 in my university, and that provides me a great opportunity to relate, you know, what you're learning in theory and how that sort of connects to your experiences. So, yes, it definitely helps to, to appreciate what you're doing uh, as a researcher. Yeah, I think it's actually an invaluable experience that because the, the, your students are getting first-hand 
from what you've learned to mistakes you've made and also once they start on their journeys of commercializing as your your phd student is that you go well listen this these are some pitfalls that you need to be aware of absolutely um and, and so now that you know my one of my phd students actually commercializing yeah uh, his research you know that's that's really you know useful perspective to have uh, and to kind of you know make sure that he, he doesn't sort of fall into the same uh, pit, you know, pitfalls that, that, you know, I went through, um, you know, 10, 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Tell me what, what excites you about robotics in Australia? Oh, so many things. I think it's really, you know, it's really, you know, fabulous time to be actually involved in robotics. And, and it's good to see a lot of, a lot of things happening. I mean, these kinds of podcasts never existed, you know, 10 years ago, right? So it's really great. Like, I really appreciate what you're doing, Nikki. Uh, in terms of you know taking that message out and and demystifying some of the things and also introducing you know people who are involved in it because we have some really great people doing robotics you know Australia right now I've been fortunate to kind of interact with a lot of people that does a lot of that work and and to to say hello and uh, you know pick their brains when I'm stuck you know yeah. so I think this is a fabulous time and I see that you know even the government um, you know is more open to. AI and then they're realizing that you know we need to you know pick up the momentum in terms of robotics and AI. Uh, I know Sue has been working on the roadmap and and you know providing that sort of um, you know guideline and kind of you know path for for Australia to look into. Uh, we we we've developed you know we've nurtured some really fantastic you know students, undergraduate and PhDs in Australia. Unfortunately, a lot of them actually move out to you know US or some other countries. I think we need to make sure that. They have the right opportunities, the right tools, and and the right frameworks here within Australia to to get them going. Um, I mean, you know, this is personal experience because we're actually now developing a robotics program at University of Canberra. So the, for the first time, we'll be offering a new robotics program. It's it's going to be different from a lot of the other universities, mm-hmm. uh, and and it sort of will be in the framework that I described about in you know, a multidisciplinary uh, body of knowledge that taps into. So we want to be very cautious because, you know, we are a small university, you know, our investments aren't at the scale of, you know, group of eight, for example. So we did a really, in a pilot unit a couple of years ago. And the first first year we had about 20 students taking up. And in three years, it's, you know, tripled. Now we've got about 80 students and we don't have the resources to <laughs> provide yeah. for them. So they are really excited about it. And we, you know, even within Canberra, we have a number of robotic startups. I mean, I'm helping about three of them already you know with our students and we, we're finding that we need more students to work on it so this is a fabulous time uh, in australia to be you know doing robotics listen i couldn't agree with you more and to our audience amath is referring to dr ck who was responsible for the 2018 robotics of australia roadmap and also the 2022 she was um, instrumental in in getting it all off the ground and getting it the compilations going out there so Speaking of of mentors and your supervisor, do you have a mentor? And have you? Um, what do you think is the importance of it? I think it's absolutely important to have mentors, um, oh. and especially when things go wrong. Yeah, uh, it's, it's really good to have people that you can you know trust and fall back. So I, I went through you know a number of at different you know stages of my life. I went through all sorts of uh, you know um, career break breaks and um, you know political sort of you know situations and all sorts of things uh and and i was able to get through them and come out better actually has always been because of the mentors that i had um so i'm really you know like you know my undergraduate you know supervisor 
Stella, uh, I consider myself, you know, still a mentor and a good friend. Um, my PhD, you know, supervisors, they all been, you know, been sort of cornerstones in my life, not just professionally, you know, my, my, you know, my secondary PhD supervisor, we are really good friends, you know, we still, you know, hang out occasionally and, you know, you know, spend time together. So it's it's really wonderful to have these people in your life to um, get you through difficult patches and also to enjoy when you're doing really well because they really love what you're doing and they enjoy when you're success, successful. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's absolutely important. I mean, it, it might be cliched, but uh, that's that's the truth and, and it definitely. No, look, I happen to agree with you and I say to everyone that I speak with, make sure you... And it doesn't really matter how old you are. You can find people that are doing things that you admire, that you, and a mentorship is, it doesn't need to be a very formal relationship. You could just, you know, it could just be a casual conversation or you could go the formal way. Um, you know, it's, there are all sorts of um, mentorship relationships out there. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it depends on, you know, what you're comfortable and, and, you know, and also, you know, different layers of people, right? So you want to have, uh, all these different, you know, groups. I mean, some of them might be, you know, where you you sort of, you know, them on a first name basis, and some they'll be more formal. So if you need to have a specific, um, you know, help at a certain, you know, intellectual level or something, yeah, uh, that's that's good. Um, so I think you need all these different, you know, and and you know, some of my mentors, you know, are very senior people. Uh, then I can, uh, knowing that I can still reach out to them, you know, if I need, you know, specific help, that's great. And some of them are actually younger, you know. So some of them are, you know, they're they're really good at what they do in in some context. So it's lovely to have them as you know some sort of inspirational kind of mentors as well. So the mentors doesn't have to be you know senior people. Yeah, it doesn't uh, necessarily someone older than you. It can be someone younger. Davis, I'm, I'm aware of your time. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd le- like to leave our listeners with? I mean, thank you so much for having me. That's that's the first thing. Um, and I really enjoyed having a chat with you. And it's 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 wonderful what like I said you know what you're doing I think what 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 I've seen in Australia and we've done a bit of research around this in understanding how um, people perceive robots so it's a lot of the time it's actually binary there is a group of people that are really you know, absolutely excited about robots uh, to the point that they they actually you know sort of disconnected from the reality of robotics and when they try to implement robotics to them they get disappointed because it doesn't really meet their expectations. Mm-hmm. And on the other extreme are the people who say like, you know, we don't want to have robots. Um, you know, this, it's a disaster. It kind of, you know, dehumanizes. And, and you know, so, I mean, just to give you a quick example, we were trying to help uh, another recycling uh, company. Mm-hmm. And they said like, you know, we can help you, you know, with the, the mundane task of picking stuff um, with robots. And he was, you know, adamant that we should not employ robots you know that that you know that that just takes these jobs away and these people who are working with for me i mean they'll lose jobs and so on so so there are people like that you know the other end i think it, it's much more nuanced uh and you know certainly looking at some of the robots you you have i think you know they actually help improve in, in especially you know in, in the pandemic context right Yep. having these kind of telepresence robots would have been a great thing, you know, in places like, you know, aged care homes and, and so on. So I think we need to be a bit more open-minded about it. Uh, so we want to need really, you know, throw some of the um, you know, extreme expectations about robots. Robots are really machine tools, nothing more. Yeah. Uh, so they can do, you know, some things better than humans, but not necessarily going to replace humans. Um so that's kind of my point. Like, you know, just just be open-minded about it. And I think treat them as tools. Don't treat them as, you know, 
embodied, you know, conscious elements in art. They're just programs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you can approach it in that sort of open-minded way, I think um, that's the way forward for us in Australia for robotics. I think that is a brilliant segue to end this fantastic talk. Thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Lovely meeting you via Zoom. I hope to come to Canberra and come and have a tour of your your department and seeing what you're doing. Oh, you're more than welcome. I mean, we always love to have people and show off some of the things that we do in the lab. Yeah, I know. And, and roboticists are very good at this. I wait, wait, you should see this. You should see this. So anyway, to our audience, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you're well wherever you are in the world. And I hope to have your company next week again. Take care and goodbye. Mm-hmm.